Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. If you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 19 this morning. I'm going to read a fairly familiar story of Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. Matthew 19, I'm going to read from the NIV translation, and it goes like this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. A little background. The Pharisees, a little bit like some of today's media, were looking to catch a soundbite and to trap Jesus into saying something that would ruin his reputation. Uh, you know, nowadays, uh, divorce and remarriage is probably not as hot a topic as it was back in Jesus' time. Uh, as you look at our world today, we're more interested in the fact that Orlando Bloom tried to punch Justin Bieber. <laughs> some of you seem pleased about that. But but back in Jesus' day, divorce and remarriage was a hot topic. And uh, it also is very relevant today because there's been some seismic shifts uh, in our culture when it comes to family. Let me just give you a couple of statistics to paint a picture of our world today. In 1967, 3% of couples lived together before they got married. 1967, 3%. In 2011, 87% of couples live together before they get married. Can you see that's a huge shift in just a couple of decades? Uh, De facto marriage is very common today, and many kids are being born to a mum and dad uh, who have a family, but they're not officially married. Uh, People are choosing either not to marry or marry later. The average age for women to marry in Australia is now 29. For men, it's 33. In Australia, 43% of first marriages end in divorce. 43%. 43%. 50% of second marriages end in divorce, and 70% of subsequent marriages end in divorce. As a result, one in three marriages in Australia are a remarriage. That's a pretty shocking statistic. It's a 1997 statistic. One in three weddings on a weekend in Australia, one out of three, are a remarriage resulting in the fact that blended families and step-families are the most increasing form of family in our world. Now, I'm sure that everyone listening to this message today knows someone who's been divorced and possibly remarried, either a friend, a family member, could be your parents, or maybe you yourself have gone through the the tragedy of a divorce and and possibly been remarried. And if we could take the time today just to sit and hear one another's stories, 
Although every person's story is unique, there'd be some commonalities. There would be some feelings of pain. There would be some, some disappointments, some, some heartache, some sadness, possibly some resentment, some anger from the spouses involved and also the children affected by divorce. This, this is a, a heartbreaking experience for anyone to go through. And for, for those of us in the room that are followers of Christ, we've got a whole bunch of questions that emerge around this topic. Like, if your marriage is not working, what do you do? What, what, what are your options? And what happens when a marriage breaks down, when a family breaks down? Divorce, is it ever okay? If you're divorced, what next? Is divorce a sin? If it's a sin, is it an unpardonable sin? And if you're divorced, can you, can you get married again? Or is remarriage committing adultery? Now, I'm going to answer all those questions thoroughly and convincingly in the next five minutes. <laughs> Was, was that a laugh of no confidence? <laughs> These are really, really important questions. Uh, you know, here at City Life, uh, one of our core values is, is the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's word. We believe it's the authority for what we believe and how we live our lives. And so uh, it's important to read the Bible. We just read a narrative of Jesus in it conversation with Pharisees where the topic of divorce and remarriage comes up. So we, we, we need to know what the Bible says. That's the easy part. But, but what, what, what does it mean? Our scholars call that exegesis. How do we draw out the meaning? What, what was Jesus actually meaning by what, by what he said? And, and then the hermeneutical part, uh, how does it apply to our life today? Um, these are important questions. I mean, it's interesting. There are many first century practices of the church, of followers of Christ, that we no longer keep today. Um, we didn't wash anyone's feet when you arrived this morning. That's because most of you drove here and, you know, you're not walking on dusty roads and most of you have shoes and socks on. So we didn't do any foot washing today. Uh, I don't see any women with a veil on this morning. Don't see any women with hats, although Paul told women to cover their heads in church. None of you have greeted me this morning with a holy kiss. And yet, three times in the New Testament, Paul commands believers, greet one another with a holy kiss. All of you have disobeyed all three of those commands this morning. It's all right. Don't rush up and try to be obedient all of a sudden. But, but, but why do we exclude some commands and say that's not relevant and choose others? Is it just kind of a random thing where you, where you do that and you don't do that? We all know what it says, but what does it mean and how does it apply to our lives? How do we actually use the Bible? Some people see the Bible as a constitution, you know. Um, You've got a case, chapter and verse. Is the Bible a constitution, case law book that has a chapter and verse for every issue we're going to find in our lives? Or, or is it more of a library of Holy Spirit-inspired stories that... Reveal to us God's heart so we can know his purpose and know how to live in a way that pleases him. I think we'd all agree that it's dangerous just to grab a verse out of context. Uh, my dad used to tell the funny story uh, when he was younger of a, a, a young Christian getting a Bible and wanting to know God's will for his life. He had the old King James and so he did one of these. Okay, God, speak to me. And he read the verse, Judas went and hung himself. Oh no, oh no. Let's start again. He went to the next one. Go thou and do likewise. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, God, one more. 
What thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> Can you see the danger of just grabbing a verse like a kind of lucky dip and, and taking it out of context? It actually does a lot of damage. And some people do that. They grab a scripture and then they kind of hammer people with it. You can do a lot of damage by misapplying a verse and make it say something it never intended to say. The other danger is that we look at a verse and we don't interpret Scripture in the light of all Scripture. And so if you look at a topic like divorce and remarriage, we can't just read Matthew 19. We've got to see what else the Bible says. In fact, the early church had no New Testament. It was being written. They only had the Old Testament. That was their Bible. And so for us to understand what Jesus was meaning in this little conversation we've just read here, we actually need to go back and read the background for the debate that he's having with the Pharisees. And to do that, we're going to go to the book of Deuteronomy. So if you've got your Bible with me, let's rewind back to Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy means second law. And this is Moses repeating the law for the next generation. And the main piece of legislation in the law of Moses about divorce and remarriage is right here, Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. And if you don't know this scripture, you'll have no idea what's happening with this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, because this is the background, this is the context to the debate that we've just read in Matthew 19. So let's have a look at it. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1-4, to put your thinking caps on this morning. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, Because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and the second husband dislikes her, right away you're saying, poor woman, the second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. We'll talk about that in a moment. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land. The Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Now, a couple of comments. There's no law in the Old Testament that institutes divorce. It was a practice that was common in Israel and the surrounding nations. The purpose of this legislation was to regulate the practice of divorce. Moses was trying to control and reduce divorce, not condone it or legalize it. Moses understood that divorce could happen, and he wanted to give instructions for what's appropriate if a divorce happens. Notice this law is not a command to divorce, but instructions for when a divorce took place. It's more focusing on what takes place after the divorce. It doesn't give us a lot of details about the grounds of divorce. Uh, This view continued until the time of Jesus. Divorce included separation and the right to remarry. This was actually assumed. In fact, a Jewish bill of divorce that a woman was given 
actually said, you are free to marry any man. Divorce was quite easy. You didn't have to go to the civil courts. You didn't even need the elders to approve it. It was just family law. Within a family, a husband could divorce his wife. In Jewish culture, the woman couldn't divorce her husband. The man had the right. Later in Jesus' time, in Greco-Roman culture, women started to have that right. But it was simply a certificate. But on that certificate, it said, you are now free to marry another man. So divorce involved a complete termination, this is very important, of the first marriage and therefore allowed remarriage. This legislation has some goals. Remember, God's commands are for our good. And the goals of this legislation really is to protect the woman who was the most vulnerable person in this society. And it protected the woman in a number of ways. First of all, there had to be an adequate reason. Again, there's debate around what does something indecent mean? Some people say it's adultery, but no, adultery was punishable by death. So uh, maybe it's unfaithfulness. Maybe uh, it's hard to know what that word means. But but Moses is actually saying, you've got to have a reason. It's not a no-fault divorce. Uh, And then by doing so, he was giving dignity to the wife that her husband couldn't just get rid of her because he didn't like her anymore. And so, uh, of course, forgiveness would be the the highest step to take. But uh, there had to be a reason for the divorce to take place. That's the first Uh, aim of the legislation. Secondly, it had to be in writing. Notice that. Um, The the, the written document helped the woman move on and to remarry without being accused of adultery because that marriage is now finished. So it protected uh, that woman from slander and from scandal. Also, by putting it in writing, it made it a more serious decision. It's not like, oh, well, I like you today, I don't like you tomorrow, Uh, back and forth, are we married, aren't we married? By putting it in writing, it would restrict the numbers of divorce because this is a serious decision that you can't just go back on and not to be undertaken lightly and then changed a little later. And then also the legislation not only required a cause, not only was in writing, but but thirdly, it sought to protect a subsequent marriage. Notice that if this woman was divorced and then had a second marriage, the the first husband wasn't able to interfere with that marriage. In fact, it says there that for that first husband, the woman is now defiled. That doesn't mean she's a bad person. It's not a moral term. It literally means out of bounds. So you've divorced your wife. She's now remarried. You are now not to any way get involved emotionally with her again because she's now in a new marriage and that marriage needs to be protected. And so that's the, the goal of this legislation in the Mosaic Law where uh, Moses is trying to restrict and control divorce from wreaking havoc through society. So listen carefully. There was no dispute about whether a divorce could take place. There was no dispute about whether remarriage was appropriate after a divorce. The big debate was, what does something indecent mean? What are the acceptable grounds for a divorce? That's where the debate on this legislation came in. So with that background, let's now go back to Matthew 19 and see what's happening. In Matthew 19, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus into a debate they were having about what are the acceptable grounds for divorce. Look at verse 3 with me, coming up now. Is it lawful 
for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. They want to trap Jesus into a debate over legitimate reasons for a divorce. A little bit of background. In the Talmud, which was some rabbinic literature of this day, we discovered that there were two views within the Pharisees. There was the house of Shammai, who were the more conservative group, and they said that you couldn't divorce a woman unless she was unfaithful. They did. They, they described indec- indecency as unfaithfulness. Then there was the house of Hillel, which took a far more liberal approach. And they said, no, 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 uh, something indecent or displeasing doesn't have to be unfaithfulness. They said a, a man could divorce his wife even for trivial grounds. She burnt the toast. She made a meal that, that really wasn't that tasty. True. It's, it's in the Talmud. Uh, uh, you, you, you didn't enjoy the meal tonight. Uh, that, that's enough grounds for divorce. In fact, one of the rabbis, Rabbi Akiba, went further and said a, a man could divorce his wife for no fault, but merely by finding a woman that he found more beautiful than her. Think about that. I found someone I'm more attracted to. And so Moses said, just write a certificate. I'm writing a certificate. See ya. I'm moving on. And so this is the debate going on in Jesus' day about Deuteronomy 24. And the Pharisees want to trap Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, whose side are you going to take? How many know Jesus is pretty smart? Jesus is pretty wise. And Jesus, in his answer, totally bypasses their debates about Deuteronomy 24. And he goes right back to the beginning. And he basically says, guys, you are misusing the scripture. Divorce was never a part of God's original plan. Verse 4, Jesus says, haven't you read at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one. They're no longer two. They're one. What God has joined literally means attached, glued, cemented. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Why are you planning on figuring out all these ways to divorce your wives. You're missing the very heart of God for marriage. God's ideal is a lifelong relationship characterized by friendship, care, sexual intimacy, and commitment. Why are you seeking to break it up through these pedantic debates about Deuteronomy. That's what Jesus says. Well, of course, the Pharisees aren't going to give up there. And so they continue, verse 7, and they say this, well, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Obviously, by that statement, they'd taken the more liberal position. And uh, the more liberal position was the, the kind of prevailing um, practice at Jesus' time. They're saying, well, Moses just said, we, as long as we write a certificate, it's okay. What does Jesus say? Verses 8 to 9. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you. They they twisted. They misquoted Moses. They used the word command. Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. What, what, What is Jesus saying? He's saying Moses did allow divorce. It was a concession because of the hardness of people's hearts. Divorce was not a part of God's original purposes. And then he says, if a man divorces his wife and marries another, he's committing adultery. He does use an exception clause in Mark here, except for sexual immorality, an exception clause that's not in Mark or Luke. 
And some scholars believe because in that culture, if there was adultery, it often mandated a divorce, and so there wasn't even a debate. For instance, did you notice when Mary ended up pregnant, Joseph immediately moved to divorce her? The issue wasn't, will he divorce her? The issue is, was, will he do it publicly or privately? The fact she was pregnant with a child that wasn't his, right away he moved to divorce. And so that's why that statement is in there, sometimes not at other times. So, what did Jesus actually mean by what he said in that last statement? If you divorce your wife and marry someone else, you're committing adultery. What, what did Jesus mean by that? Some people through the generations have said that Jesus is forbidding all divorce, he's forbidding all remarriage, and he's saying that any remarriage is a continual act of adultery because the first marriage is a permanent bond. And so if you're in a second marriage, it's It's adulterous because you're still married to the first husband or wife that you made vows to. That's how some people have interpreted Jesus' statement here. There's a couple of problems with this view. First of all, it would be a complete contradiction of Moses' teaching in Deuteronomy 24 that acknowledged a divorce could occur and that any remarriage after that is a real marriage and not adulterous. Jesus, in Matthew 5, said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus here is not attacking Moses and overriding or changing Moses' law. Jesus is attacking the Pharisees' misuse of Moses' legislation about what happens when a divorce takes place. Jesus is not setting himself as against Moses. And so that interpretation that if you move into a second marriage, it's adulterous and you're still married to your first wife, would be a complete contradiction of everything we've just read in Deuteronomy 24. It would also contradict how Jesus treated people who were divorced. In John 4, we have an interesting story of Jesus meeting a woman at a well. She's been married five times and divorced five times, and she's now living with someone who's not her husband. It's a narrative, but listen to Jesus' language. He says to her, you have had five husbands. She didn't say, you still have five husbands. Uh, He also said, the man you're married to now is not your husband. In saying this, he's carefully distinguishing between a remarriage and an adulterous relationship out of marriage. By telling the woman who's been married five times, you now have no husband, as distinct from saying you're still married to all of those men, Jesus is clearly showing that he did not hold or teach that marriage was incapable of being dissolved. And so I don't believe Jesus here is overturning Moses' teaching by saying uh, that if any divorce happens and any remarriage happens, it's adulterous. He's confronting the Pharisees' twisting of legislation that says, if you're going to divorce your wife, just make sure you do a certificate. And Moses and God are okay with it. He's confronting their lax attitude towards marriage, which is meant to be a permanent, lifelong relationship. And what he's criticizing, he's criticizing them seeking a divorce with the intent of marrying someone else. Basically, I believe Jesus is saying, is if you divorce your wife simply to marry someone else that you're more attracted to, or your wife spoiled the meal, that's nothing less than an adulterous act. 
It's the link of the divorce and going after someone else that Jesus is calling adultery and making a firm stand against. I think Jesus was angry at the fact that women in his day were at the mercy of husbands who played the field and then divorced their wives flippantly simply because they found themselves attracted to some other woman. So let's note that Jesus in this debate with the Pharisees, he's not answering every question we have about divorce and remarriage. He's not addressing people who are already divorced and what they should do. He's not even addressing what people who go ahead and divorce anyway should do. He's not answering those questions or many of the questions we have. This isn't a once-for-all legislation on every question about divorce and remarriage. What he's doing to the Pharisees, he's saying, stop tearing apart marriage through your easy divorce approach, what God has put together. All divorce is a tragedy, and you are missing the heart of God. Now, if you've uh, bought a car in the last 10 years and uh, looked at the instruction manual, you'll notice that most car instruction manuals now, somewhere near the end, will have instructions for what to do in the case of an accident. Uh, they will suggest that you call the police, that you make a note of exactly what happened, that you get the license number and the registration number. There's instructions in there for what to do in case of an accident. Now, how many are smart enough to know the car manufacturers are not hoping you'll have an accident? It's not like they're going, go smash the car, that way we'll sell more cars. No, 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 the car manufacturers, they want you to drive safely. They don't want you to be in fear or worry. They want you to get to where you're going without any incidences. The Pharisees were taking Moses' legislation in 24, Deuteronomy 24, of what to do in case a marriage breaks down. And they were basically saying this. They're implying that Moses was saying, when you drive a car, this is how to have an accident. Can you see what the Pharisees were doing? They're taking the legislation in Deuteronomy 24, which is what to do when a marriage breaks down, and they're saying, okay, this is how, you, this is how we have an accident. Totally twisting the manufacture, God's heart, God's desire. Moses is saying, when you drive a car, take care not to have an accident. But if tragically an accident occurs, this is how to deal with it. Can you see the difference? It's, it's a huge, huge difference. And so Jesus upheld marriage as God's ideal, lifelong, no divorce, no breakdown. But that doesn't mean divorce is never going to happen. Moses, Jesus, and Paul talk about what to do when marriages and families break down. When, when there's a marriage conflict or, or breakdown, Jesus teaches his followers to make every effort to reconcile. Uh, I've noted that Matthew 19 follows Matthew 18. You came all the way to church to hear that today. Go home and read Matthew 18. The entire chapter is about forgiveness. And what happens when you don't forgive and the torment that comes into your life. And in that chapter, Jesus gives some principles to what, for what to happen when a conflict takes place. He says, if your brother or sister, let's broaden that. If your husband and wife, or what? Not your husband and wife, your husband or wife, offends you, go. Everyone say go. go. One more time. Go. You, you know, the Greek word, the original meaning of the word go in the original languages means go. 
It doesn't mean pass it on. It doesn't even mean pray. It means go. It's the most disobeyed commandment of Jesus today. A lot of people come up to me and tell me something about someone. Say, oh, somewhere in the conversation, say, have, you, have you talked about it? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, why not? You're talking to me about it. Go. If there's an offense, if there's an issue, go and be reconciled. Sort it out. Forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration. If it doesn't work out, what does Jesus then say? You guys haven't read Matthew 18. What does he say? Get someone else involved. Get a th- Sometimes you need someone else to help you. Get a third party involved. And then he says, if that doesn't work out, give up. He says, if that doesn't work out, actually involve the community. Jesus is serious about resolving conflicts. And he gives us some principles to do so. He wants us to forgive, to reconcile, to restore, and to do our very best to resolve the situation. Now, does that mean that if we do that, it'll always work? No, no. I mean, it takes two people to, to make a reconciliation work. Did you know that God himself in the Old Testament divorced Israel? It's a very interesting thought for some denominations that won't ordain people to ministry have been divorced, which means God himself couldn't be a pastor. (laughs) Just a thought. God himself, after repeated adultery spiritually by Israel with other nations, wrote Israel a certificate of divorce. Sometimes it gets to the point where you go, I've done everything I can, I've forgiven, I've tried to reconcile, this marriage is over. And the Bible gives some acceptable grounds for divorce. It could be sexual unfaithfulness. Later on, Paul himself, in a new situation, which shows us that Jesus wasn't giving us a comprehensive list, later on, Paul has a situation where uh, a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he just deserts her. And and Paul goes, you're free. You're not bound, which is a legal marriage. You don't have to stay in that marriage if he has deserted you. And so there could be some reasons, unfaithfulness, desertion. I think by principle, a marriage where there's violence and abuse and someone's life and well-being is in danger. God doesn't want someone to stay there just because I I said some vows. That There are times where you go, the marriage is is over. And, And you know, it's interesting. Divorce is never listed in all of the lists of sins in the New Testament. Look at all Paul's lists of sins. Drunkenness, idolatry, greed. Divorce is never in the list. The sin is not the divorce. The sin is the failure to keep the marriage vows. And no divorce happens unless one or two people stop loving, cherishing, caring, and keeping those vows that they made to each other. Sometimes a divorce is simply a public labeling of a marriage that has long died, that is long over. And so when we consider things like divorce and remarriage, we've got to read those scriptures. We've got to also hear the heart of God. While Jesus upheld the ideal, he also was a compassionate person. Look how he treated this woman who'd been married and divorced five times. You know what? He commissioned her to go and be an evangelist in the city. Talk about grace. Talk about grace. He didn't say five times it's over for you. Three strikes, you're out. You're done. No place for you in my kingdom. He commissions her to go and evangelize the city. So so Jesus is truth, but he's also grace. A woman taken in the very act of adultery, uh, she deserved to die. Truth. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
And so we need to balance truth and grace in all of these areas. God is the God of the second chance. Everyone said amen. And we gather around communion today as sinful, saved people who all need grace, who all need mercy. And so while we uphold God's ideal, we also realize that the church is to be a place of healing and restoration for individuals and families. And so if you're married here today, what's the advice? Make your marriage the very best it can be. If you're married, give it your best shot. Make it a place of friendship and loving care to love and to cherish. Sexual intimacy of commitment. Remember those words? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. Make it the best marriage you can make it. Come to the marriage seminar. It'll help. What are we putting it on? To help your marriage. Uh, Here's a little tip. Uh, In in every married relationship, there's usually one person who's a little bit more relationally wired. Uh, It could be the husband, it could be the wife. More often, it's the wife. And and so let's just assume that. I'll give you a little tip. Husbands, here's a tip for, for for you to improve your marriage. Ask your wife later on today, honey, how would you rate our marriage on a scale of one to 10? 10 being you should start your own seminar. One being, we should go to the seminar. No, no negative numbers, just keep it between one. Just ask your wife how she would rate your relationship. Now, now just a little warning, she'll give it a lower number than you. She, she will. You, you know, she'll say five and you'll go, five, don't start an argument. Please, don't start an argument. Just listen to her number. Just, just listen, just, just listen, don't defend, just smile. I thought so. Uh, once you get that number, second question, ask her what would improve it over the next couple of months. Now, now wives, right there, be really nice. <laughs> Don't take advantage. But, but husbands, listen to your wife. And you'll be surprised if you'll do those couple of suggestions. Nine out of ten times, the wife has the relational intuition for what's needed to make the marriage better than it is. Now, that's, that's for free, guys. I tell you what, that's worth a lot. Of, we should take an offering up right now. That, <laughs> You just go home and do that, uh, it, it, it makes a big difference because sometimes it's just one or two little things that can enhance a marriage. So make your marriage the best that it can be. Uh, and if you're married, if you get stuck, get help. I told a funny story uh, uh, last night, um, a few years ago, Nicole and I were driving out, uh, we, we like on our days off to kind of head to the country, and we're driving out this gravel road, and uh, it was a Monday, and uh, we're driving along, we saw some emus, which you don't often see here in Australia, we stopped, and, hey honey, let's go back and have a look, so we stopped, and I backed back, just kind of pulled to the side a little bit so cars could move along, and, and the car started to slip, and I got out and realized there was this kind of a meter uh, gutter there, and we were over the edge of it. And so I said, honey, you stand out there and we'll try to get out of there. And, and so very slowly I went forward and it slipped down. And then I went backward and it slipped down. And I realized whether I go forward or backward, we're going to keep slipping down this gutter. We're in trouble. So, so who are you going to call? Not, not Ghostbusters. <laughs> what kind of a church is this? <laughs> CV. Man, I was glad I paid my membership. I got on the phone. Let me tell you guys, it was pretty hard to make that phone call. Come on, come on. It's pretty embarrassing. Easier for ladies. Guy, uh, hey, I'm a bit stuck. Could you come? So, called. It was a long 20 minutes. We had some interesting conversations. You should be more careful when you... Honey, you want to see the... Anyway, we had a little conversation for a little while. 
Just fill the rest of the picture. Anyway, the guy arrived and uh, pulled out his rope. A little smile. Hey, how you going? Yeah. <laughs> little rope and uh, bang, we're out of there. Thanks, mate. Great. We're, we had a good rest today. What's the point? If I hadn't called, I'd still be there. <laughs> and you wouldn't be hearing this amazing, life-changing message today. <laughs> I had to call. If, if you get stuck, you get in those situations where you go, if we go forward, nothing's working anymore. Don't just bail. I didn't just leave the car there. It's a church car. <laughs> I didn't just leave the car. I, I had to call. If you get stuck, call somebody. That's why we have a counseling center. That's why we have pastors. And, and, and the RSCV guy didn't laugh at me when he rocked up. Oh, you jerk. What are you doing? No, no, he's there to help me. As a church, we're here to uphold marriage and see marriage be all it can be, but accidents happen, breakdowns happen, and we want to come alongside and help. And so uh, don't put up with a marriage that's way below what God wanted it to be, just a shell of a relationship, two people living together but very alone. Don't put up with that. Sometimes love's got to be tough to say, hey, this isn't working. We've got to get some help. We've got to do something be courageous. Be courageous to, to fight for what your marriage can be. If, if you're divorced here today, I hope today's message is, is, is an encouragement to you. Uh, only you know the pain and disappointment that you've gone through. A- and I pray that you would find a place of forgiveness with God and family. And you can't go back and change the past. Uh, but you can begin today and, and have a brand new future. Don't see yourself as a second-class citizen. Be encouraged by the grace that's in Jesus Christ to to move forward to make your future the very best that it can be. I'm sure you've got some questions. I mean, we covered a big topic today. And uh, if you've got some questions about your situation, come, come and see one of the pastors. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, help you navigate whatever may be happening in your family world right now. Let's pray together. Father, today we've covered a fair bit, talked about a sensitive subject when families breakdown. I pray for all the married couples here today, Lord, that you would just help their marriage to go from strength to strength, that it would become more loving, more caring, more joyful, more fun. And for those that are stuck like I was on that day, give them the humility and the courage to to get some help and not just stay stuck. Lord, for those that have been through the tragedy of a broken marriage, a divorce, No one would say that was a good thing. Help them to find the freedom that is in you from guilt and from shame. Help them to find healing from maybe the hurt and the pain and the grief and disappointment for children too, who are often the innocent parties in these situations. Let your blessing be upon those people today. And here at City Life, may we always be a church where marriage is upheld as God's ideal, where we work together to keep our marriage vows and to make our marriages the best they can be. But when things break down, when accidents happen, may City Life also be a place of compassion and restoration and forgiveness and healing. We ask that today in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.